Hi, um, my, again, my name is Tony, and um, I'm going to uh, be reading from a work by uh, John Paul II. It's called an encyclical letter, and basically encyclical means these are sort of in, tra in the tradition of um, St. Paul, who wrote letters to the churches. And um, encyclical means within the church, so it's a letter to the church, from the Pope, who is um, the Vicar of Christ. In other words, he he represents he he speaks for Christ. In some respects, he's the um, uh, a bishop of Rome, but he's also first among all the bishops, and um, he's the head of uh, our church. This encyclical letter is called The Gospel of Life. In Latin, it's called Evangelium Vitae by uh, John Paul II. Um, it's got a beautiful introductory, um, introductory dedication. It says, John Paul II to the bishops, priests and deacons, men and women, religious, lay faithful, and all people of goodwill and the value and inviolability of human life. What a beautiful dedication. I'm reading from uh, an edition published by St. Paul Books and Media. This is a great congregation. Uh, where I live in Chicago, they have a store, and um, even now they're staffed by a sister and um, with assistants. And they dedicate themselves to Catholic and Christian books and documents and objects are really nice. So this edition that I'm reading, uh, I believe, was it's, it says it's a Vatican translation. It was printed and published by Pauline Books and Media from Boston, Massachusetts. It is the publishing house of the Daughters of St. Paul, an international congregation of women religious serving the church with the communication media. So again, I'm certainly not trying to step on the sisters' um, prerogatives here, but I'm just trying to make a very beautiful document available in audio form that I have not been able to find anywhere. I even, once I even stopped by the store there in Chicago and I asked them, do they have an audio version of these encyclicals? And the sister could not identify one. So I hope that a uh, professional can eventually do this correctly. But in the meantime, I'm doing my best here. So I will uh, start by reading the introduction, and you may hear some background noises here, me flipping pages and so forth, and that's fine because, again, this is not an audio book that's of professional quality. It's simply a um, casual, amateur reading from his book at home. Okay, there you go. Introduction. One, the gospel of life is at the heart of Jesus' message, lovingly received day after day by the church. 
is to be preached by, with dawnless fidelity as good news to the people of every age and culture. At the dawn of salvation, it is the birth of a child which is proclaimed as joyful news. Quote, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unquote. From Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The source of this, quote, great joy, unquote, is the birth of the Savior. But Christmas also reveals the full meaning of every human birth. And the joy which accompanies the birth of the Messiah is thus seen to be the foundation and fulfillment of joy in every child born into the world. See John chapter 16, verse 21. When he presents the heart of his redemptive mission, Jesus says, quote, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, unquote. Refer to John chapter 10, verse 10. In truth, he is referring to the, quote, new, unquote, and, quote, eternal, unquote, life, which consists in communion with the Father, to which every person is freely called in the Son by the power of the sanctifying Spirit. It is precisely in this, quote, life, unquote, that all the aspects and stages of human life achieve their full significance. The incomparable worth of the human person. Two. Man is called to a fullness of life which far exceeds the dimensions of his earthly existence because it consists in sharing the very life of God. The loftiness of this supernatural vocation reveals the greatness and the inestimable value of human life even in its temporal phase. Life and time, in fact, is a fundamental condition, the initial stage, and an integral part of the entire unified process of human existence. It is a process which, unexpectedly and undeservingly, is enlightened by the promise and renewed by the gift of divine life which will reach its full realization in eternity. Refer to first letter of John, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. At the same time, it is precisely this supernatural calling which highlights the relative character of each individual's earthly life. After all, life on earth is not an, quote, ultimate, unquote, but a, quote, penultimate, Unquote, reality. Even so, it remains a sacred reality entrusted to us to be preserved with a sense of responsibility and brought to perfection in love and in the gift of ourselves to God and to our brothers and sisters. The Church knows that this gospel of life, which she has received from her Lord, has a profound and pervasive echo in the hearts of every person, believer and non-believer alike, because it marvelously fulfills all the heart's expectations while infinitely surpassing them. 
Um, I want to make an aside here. There's a note right after where Saint uh, John Paul II now Saint John Paul, where he says, "Which she has received from her Lord." There's a note that says, "The expression." Quote, gospel of life, unquote, is not found as such in sacred scriptures, but does correspond to an essential dimension of the biblical message. So I'll continue. Even in the midst of difficulties and uncertainties, every person sincerely open to truth and goodness can, by the light of reason and the hidden action of grace, come to recognize in the natural law written in the heart, refer to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the sacred value of human life from its very beginning until its end, and can affirm the right of every human being to have this primary good respected to the highest degree. Upon the recognition of this right, every human community and the political community itself are founded. A special way believers in Christ must defend and promote this right, aware as they are of the wonderful truth recalled by the Second Vatican Council. Quote, by his incarnation, the Son of God has united himself in some fashion with every human being. Unquote. The note on this um, reference is pastoral Pastoral Constitution and the Church in the Modern World, Gaudium et Spes, 22. 22 must refer to the chapter. By the way, the Constitution of, on the Church in the Modern World can be found in any collection of the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Um, my personal feeling, these are just amazing documents. You read them and you're just blown away by them spiritual depth of these documents and the beauty. So I highly recommend them. Um, maybe I'll put a podcast out for some of those as well, which also are not available in audio, which is unfortunate. Perhaps someday. So I'll continue. This saving event reveals to humanity not only the boundless love of God, who, quote, so loved the world that he gave his only son, unquote, Refer to John chapter 3, verse 16, but also the incomparable value of every human person. The church, faithfully contemplating the mystery of the redemption, acknowledges this value with every new wonder. There's a note on this. Refer to John Paul II, encyclical letter, Redemptor Hominis, March 4th, 1979. Um, page 275. So I'll continue. She feels called to proclaim to the people of all times this, quote, gospel, unquote, the source of invincible hope and true joy for every period of history. The gospel of God's love for man, the gospel of the dignity of the person, and the gospel of life are a single and indivisible gospel. For this reason, man, living man, 
represents the primary and fundamental way for the church. No threats to human life. Three, every individual, precisely by reason of the mystery of the word of God who was made flesh, referred to John chapter 1, verse 14, is entrusted to the maternal care of the church. Therefore, every threat to human dignity and life must necessarily be felt in the church's very heart. It cannot but affect her at the core of her faith in the redemptive incarnation of the Son of God and engage her in her mission of proclaiming the gospel of life in all the world and to every creature. Refer to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Today, this proclamation is especially pressing because of the extraordinary increase in gravity of threats to the life of individuals and peoples, especially where life is weak and defenseless. In addition to the ancient scourges of poverty, hunger, endemic diseases, violence, and war, new threats are emerging on an alarmingly vast scale. The Second Vatican Council, in a passage which retains all its relevance today, forcefully condemned a number of crimes and attacks against human life. Thirty years later, taking up the words of the Council, with the same forcefulness, I repeat that condemnation in the name of the whole church, certain that I am interpreting the genuine sentiment of every upright conscience. Quote, Whatever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, Whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments inflicted on body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, whatever insults human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, as well as disgraceful working conditions where people are treated as mere instruments of gain rather than as free and responsible persons. All these things and others like them are infamies indeed. They poison human society and they do more harm to those who practice them than to those who suffer from their injury. Moreover, they are a supreme dishonor to the Creator. The note on this passage is Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, Gaudium et Spes, page 27. 4. Unfortunately, this disturbing state of affairs, far from decreasing, is expanding. With the new prospects opened up by scientific and technological progress, there arise new forms of attacks on the dignity of the human being. At the same time, a new cultural climate is developing and taking hold, which gives crimes against life a new and, if possible, even more sinister character. 
giving rise to further grave concern. Broad sectors of public opinion justify certain crimes against life in the name of the rights of individual freedom. And on this basis, they claim not only exemption from punishment, but even authorization by the state, so that these things can be done with total freedom and indeed with the free assistance of healthcare systems. All this is causing a profound change in the way in which life and relationships between people are considered. The fact that legislation in many countries, perhaps even departing from basic principles in the other constitutions, has determined not to punish these practices against life and even to make them altogether legal, is both a disturbing symptom and a significant cause of grave moral decline. Choices once unanimously considered criminal and rejected by the common moral sense are gradually becoming socially acceptable. Even certain sectors of the medical profession, which by its calling is directed to the defense and care of of human life, are increasingly willing to carry out these acts against the person. In this way, the very nature of the medical profession is distorted and contradicted, and the dignity of those who practice it is degraded. In such a cultural and legislative situation, the serious demographic, social, and family problems which weigh upon many of the world's peoples and which require responsible and effective attention from national and international bodies are left open to false and deceptive solutions opposed to the truth and the good of persons and nations. The end result of, of this is tragic. Not only is the fact of the destruction of so many human lives still to be born or in their final stage extremely grave and disturbing, but no less grave and disturbing is the fact that conscience itself, darkened as it is, as it darkened as it were by such widespread conditioning, is finding it increasingly difficult to distinguish between good and evil in what concerns the basic value of human life. In communion with all the bishops of the world. 5. The extraordinary consistory of cardinals held in Rome on April 4 to 7, 1991, was devoted to the problem of the threats to human life in our day. After a thorough and detailed discussion of the problem, and of the challenges it poses to the entire human family, and in particular to the Christian community, the cardinals unanimously asked me to reaffirm with the authority of the successor of Peter the value of human life in its inviolability in the light of present circumstances in a text threatening it today. In response to this request at Pentecost in 1991, I wrote a pastoral letter to each of my brother bishops, asking them, in the spirit of Episcopal collegiality, to offer me their cooperation in drawing up a specific document. The notice referred to letter to all my brothers in the Episcopate regarding the, quote, gospel of life, unquote, 
May 19th, 1991. Inseg Insegnamenti 6, 1991. I'm trying to find my place here again. Okay, here we go. I am deeply grateful to all the bishops who replied and provided me with valuable facts, suggestions, and proposals. In so doing, they bore witness to their unanimous desire to share in the doctrinal and pastoral mission of the Church with regard to the Gospel of Life. In that same letter, written shortly after the celebration of the centenary of the encyclical Rerum Novarum, I drew everyone's attention to this striking analogy. Quote, just as a century ago it was the working classes which were oppressed in their fundamental rights, and the Church very courageously came to their defense by proclaiming the sacrosanct rights of the worker as a person. So now, when another category of persons is being oppressed in the fundamental right to life, the Church feels in duty bound to speak out with the same courage on behalf of those who have no voice. Hers is always the evangelical cry in defense of the world's poor, those who are threatened and despised and whose human rights are violated. Unquote. Uh, the reference here is the same as the prior one. The um, letter to the bishops. Okay, trying my trying to find my spot again. Okay, today there exists a great multitude of weak and defenseless human beings, unborn children in particular, whose fundamental right to life is being trampled upon. If at the end of the last century, that's the um, nineteenth century, of course, the church could not be silent about the injustices of those times. Still less can she be silent today when the social injustices of the past, unfortunately not yet overcome, are being compounded in many regions of the world by still more grievous forms of injustice and oppression. Even if these are being presented as elements of progress in view of a new world order. The present encyclical, the fruit of the cooperation of the episcopate of every country of the world, is therefore meant to be a precise and vigorous reaffirmation of the value of human life and its inviolability, and at the same time a pressing appeal addressed to each and every person in the name of God. Respect, protect, love, and serve life, every human life. Only in this direction will you find justice, development, true freedom, peace, and happiness. May these words reach all the sons and daughters of the Church. May they reach all people of goodwill who are concerned for the good of every man and woman and for the destiny of the whole of society. 6. In profound communion with all the bro my brothers and sisters in the faith, inspired by genuine friendship towards all, I wish to meditate w upon once more 
and proclaim the gospel of life, the splendor of truth which enlightens consciences, the clear light which corrects the darkened gaze, and the unfailing source of faithfulness and steadfastness in facing the ever new challenges which we meet along the path. As I recall the powerful experiences of the year of the family, as if to complete the letter which I wrote, quote, to every particular family in every part of the world, unquote. The reference here is letter to families. Gratissimum Sane, February 2nd, 1994, page 871. I look with renewed confidence to every household, and I pray that at every level a general commitment to support the family will reappear and be strengthened so that today too, even amid so many difficulties and serious threats, the family will always remain in accordance with God's plan, the quote, sanctuary of life, unquote. And the reference here is John Paul II, encyclical letter, Santissimus Annus, May 1, 1991, page 842. Trying to find my spot again. Um, apologize for the interruptions. To all the members of the Church, the people of life and for life, I make this most urgent appeal that together we may offer this world of ours new signs of hope and work to ensure that justice and solidarity will increase and that a new culture of human life will be affirmed for the building of an authentic civilization of truth and love. Okay, that's the end of the introduction and that's going, that's going to be the end of my of this episode. I think one thing I omitted was to indicate when this encyclical was written. So going back to the last page of the book, I'm going to read, I don't know what you call it formally, but basically the sign-off and um, I'll read it anyway, whatever it's called. says um is signed uh, Johannes Paulus PP 2 given in Rome at St Peter's on Mar- March 25th the solemnity of the annunciation of the Lord in the year 1995 the 17th of my pontificate thank you